Words fill a page. Pages fill a chapter. Chapters fill a book. Everyone has a story. Some have a story they are proud of telling. Others will have stories they would rather not tell. Every decision, big or small, writes the story of your life. We all have portions of our story that are still unwritten, but one day you'll be able to tell a story from this season of your life and see the hand of the author as you turn the pages. Let God write your story and you'll live one worth telling. My story, living the story you want to tell. All right, everybody, if you are new here, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we are going to be talking about thorns. We're in the middle of a series called My Story. And thorns are something that if you grew up in the church world, you, you might be very familiar with that terminology. It's a little thing we call Christianese. It's a word that we use in the church world, in the Christian world, to mean something that it may not mean if you didn't grow up in the church world. So a thorn, if you're not familiar with it, is some kind of a problem, could be emotional, could be physical, could be spiritual, could be a relational problem, some sort of a difficulty or hardship that we have that we have asked God to remove and he has not yet said yes. And today we're gonna look at where the idea of a thorn comes from. The full phrase is a thorn in the flesh. We're gonna go back and look and see where that comes from and what we can learn from that, but I'm just curious, how many of you already knew what a thorn meant, a thorn in the flesh? You knew what that meant in the Christian language. Okay, good. Now I'm not gonna ask those of you who didn't know what it meant to raise your hand, but several of you did not raise your hand, so I'm going to either assume that maybe you didn't know where that come from or maybe you're just non-participatory this morning, and that's okay. We still love you, we're glad you're here, but we're gonna talk about this idea of a thorn in the flesh. It comes from a place in the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. You can go ahead and turn there if you want to. You can also follow along at efree.org slash Bible or in the YouVersion Bible app. We're going to put it on the screens as well, but I would encourage you to follow along in your own Bible or on your mobile device or whatever that is so that you can be reading and soaking in the scriptures as I talk about this. You can look at the context and read the verses, and maybe God's going to pull out some insight for you that's different than what I say because you're reading the Word of God as we talk about this together. Before we go into the text, I just want you to take a moment and reflect on your life right now and think for yourself, is there any kind of thorn that I am struggling with, that I have in my life right now? Some kind of a difficulty that I would love to go away, but it has not gone away. Maybe it's a health issue, maybe it's a relational issue, maybe it's a mental challenge that you have, it's anything that's some kind of a hardship or a difficulty and maybe that frustrates you. Is it a distraction for you? Do you find yourself fixating on that? Have you ever felt like maybe God has abandoned you or doesn't care about you because he allows this to persist in your life? That is what we're going to talk about today. And I hope that as we read 2 Corinthians chapter 12 together, that you will find some great encouragement as well as some insight and how to handle those thorns in your life. So if you're there already, first, uh, 2 Corinthians, rather, chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, let's read this. I have received such wonderful revelations from God. Paul writing to the church in Corinth here. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, 
a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time, he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pause right there and just ask God together to teach us through his word this morning. Would you pray with me? God, your word is true every bit of it. And this has just as much application and relevance to our lives today as it did to the Corinthian believers over 2,000 years ago who heard this message. Lord, I pray that you would teach us. Help us to bridge that context between then and now and understand that the timeless value of the word of God and how it can make such a difference in our lives today. Help us to gain perspective today and help us to know what to do with it. And in your name we pray. Amen. So I want to start this morning by talking about the thorn. The thorn is usually what we focus on when we go to this passage. And the question everybody wants to know is, what was it? What was this thorn in the flesh that Paul was dealing with? And if you go back to the early church fathers, you'll find that even a couple hundred years after Paul's death, they don't know or agree about what that thorn might have been. What could it have been? Scholars differ on this. Let me give you some of the theories. Perhaps Paul had some kind of medical condition in his eyes, some sort of uh, disability there where he had difficulty seeing. And so as he went about on his missionary journeys, this would be incredibly frustrating for him because he couldn't see people and recognize people. And, And I know what it's like for me when I don't have my glasses on and I see one of you walking through the hallway, I can't tell who any of you are right now. I have no idea. I assume that's my wife because that's where she was sitting when I walked up here, but I don't know. Everything's a blur. And so when, I, when my eyes started to go bad, I was walking around you know, my last church and people would start to walk up to me. I didn't know my eyes had gone bad yet. And they, they'd start to walk up to me. I'd see them from about 20 feet away. I'd be like, oh, who is that? I have no idea. I can't tell. And it was so frustrating. That would be a thorn in the flesh. Now I can see who you are. It's wonderful. Perhaps Paul had some kind of other sickness or illness like malaria or or Malta fever or or something else that was just in his body and it would not go away and that was his thorn in the flesh. Some scholars have proposed that maybe Paul was lonely and the thorn was loneliness or he was also followed around by these people called Judaizers who would follow him around and preach a false version of the gospel. He would come to a place and preach that salvation was through trusting in Jesus Christ alone and that no good thing you do could ever make you right with God and then these people would come in behind him And they would say, yeah, Jesus is cool, but you also need to follow the Old Testament laws and you need to get circumcised and you do all this stuff. And so maybe that was Paul's thorn that people were following him around and and perverting the message of the gospel. Some people think that Paul suffered from depression, maybe even thoughts of suicide. And so maybe this was the thorn that Paul could not get away from, that he was just depressed and discouraged so often. Or others think that he was haunted by a traumatic memory. Remember, before he was the Apostle Paul, he was the persecutor Saul. And so he went around persecuting and killing Christians. And so maybe it was a memory of that that just haunted him and he could not get away from. Or some think that he had a temptation 
that wouldn't go away. It was just this constant nagging temptation that was always with him, maybe even some kind of a a sexual sin temptation that he just could not get away from. And so maybe that was Paul's thorn in the flesh. So which one is it? Scholars disagree about this, opinions abound, and I happen to agree with what F.F. Bruce wrote when he said, many guesses have been made about the identity of this splinter in the flesh. Their variety proves the impossibility of a certain diagnosis. Just the fact that there are so many plausible alternative explanations of this should tell us we probably shouldn't be really dogmatic about one particular view on this. And I have listened to preachers say that they know for absolute certain what that thorn in the flesh was, and it's right there in God's word, and if you can't see it, then you know, you're just not paying attention, and I just don't think that's true. Uh, I think that Paul actually um, made this a little ambiguous for us. Now, you may be wondering what I personally think was Paul's thorn in the flesh, and I will tell you, I think it probably had to do with his eyes. And the reason I think that, it's just an educated guess, is that Paul says it was a thorn in the flesh. So that could be a metaphor, but I I think it more than likely is referring to something physical. We know that Paul had other people write his letters for him. In fact, uh, in one case, a scribe named Tertius, who was writing down Paul's words to the Romans, Notes in Romans chapter 16, he says, now I, who am writing this letter for Paul, add my greeting as well. And so Paul did not write his own letters. At the end of 1 Corinthians and 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes a final greeting, and he notes that it's with his own hand. He had not written the rest of the letter. He had someone else write it as he dictated. And at the end of the book to the Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, he says this, notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Also in that letter to the Galatians, he talks about some physical condition that he had when he was with them that had some connection to him sharing the gospel with them there. And then he says, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me if you could. So there's a good indication that Paul did have some kind of an eye problem. And so maybe that is what this thorn in the flesh is. My favorite example of this is actually in the book of Acts when Paul is in a room with the Sanhedrin. That's all the the Jewish religious leaders and the high priest is there. They're all in a room together. And the high priest says something and Paul insults him. And then someone next to Paul says, did you realize that was the high priest? And Paul goes, no, I didn't. Paul did not know that the high priest was right across from him in the room But the high priest wore special garments. Paul had been a Pharisee. He absolutely would have known who the high priest was, what he looked like. But if he struggled with his eyesight, then maybe he could not have known that. Paul actually backtracked out of respect for that position of the high priest, even though what he said was technically true. So the eye thing is an educated guess. We don't know for sure what that thorn was. And I actually think that might be part of the point. See, Paul had the language to tell us exactly what this thorn was. He could have been very specific about it, but he wasn't. He left it ambiguous, I think, on purpose. I don't think he wanted to make his specific issue the focus of ours as we talk about this passage. And so with that in mind, I am going to move on to the purpose of this passage, Why is this written down for us? Now, in the broader sense, if you look at the whole context of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is writing to defend his position as a leader of the church. 
He's writing because other people have come in and they have questioned his authority and the, the truthfulness of his message. And he's writing to say, hey, let me explain to you why I'm the real deal. Why you should listen and pay attention to my teaching. I really do bring you messages from God. And as a part of that, he gives us a window into his life and how God has worked in his life in such a way that we can actually glean principles and examples from how God interacted with Paul. So while Paul is trying to defend himself to the Corinthian believers and and, and prove he is genuine and authentic, we learn something about being genuine and authentic. So it's a really good passage for that. So what I hope to show you as we walk through this text together is number one, that it's not about the thorn, it's about where it came from. Number two, it's not about the thorn, it's about why it's there. And it's not about the thorn, it's about what you do with it. So if you've got your Bibles ready again, go back to verse seven, and we're gonna work through this together. In verse seven, Paul says, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Notice that this was no accident. This was no coincidence. He says, this was given to me. That means there is a giver. And then the question, of course, is who was that giver? And some people think, well, it was this messenger from Satan that is here. That must be the giver. But I want you to notice the reason that this was given makes that impossible. Because he says, this was given to keep me from becoming proud. He says it twice. He wants to make sure we know this thorn was given to keep him from becoming proud. Now, if it were Satan... Would Satan want to keep Paul from becoming proud? No, Satan would love for Paul to be proud. That would be fantastic. Do you know how many great Christian leaders have been brought down by Satan helping to make them proud? Even in the last few years, we've seen a number of prominent pastors and Christian leaders who, if you trace back their downfall, you will find at the root of it is an awful lot of pride. Satan didn't want to keep Paul from becoming proud. God wanted to keep Paul from becoming proud. And so God does something really amazing here that gives us an insight into how he works and how he works even with Satan in this world. Here's what you need to see. The thorn was initiated, given by God, and Satan was used as a delivery service. If that seems strange to you, you need to think back to the character of Job in the Old Testament. God is speaking with Satan in Job, and he says, have you seen this guy, Job? That guy is awesome. I'm paraphrasing a little. And Satan says to God, he wouldn't be so awesome if you let me have some fun with him. And so God says, okay, within these boundaries, you can go ahead and inflict your torment on him. And I just wonder if it's something very similar that we see here with the Apostle Paul. If God is talking with Satan, he says, you see this guy? Wait till you see what I'm going to do with him to build my kingdom. And man, it is going to stomp you out. And Satan goes, yeah, but he's going to give up if you let me inflict a little pain on him. I don't know exactly if that's how it worked. But somehow God gave this to Paul and used Satan in the process. And you might think, well, that is so weird for God to do that. But you have to understand God is playing chess, not checkers. God is three steps ahead of anything Satan might want to do. Satan has no idea what God is trying to accomplish. He thinks he's doing it for his purposes. He thinks, ha-ha, I get to mess with this guy, Paul, that clearly is really important to God for some reason. And God says, wait till you see what I do with that. Wait till you see how I use 
Even you are messing with him for what I want to do. What Satan thinks is a chance to harass one of God's people. God sees as a chance to keep them focused on the right things. And I want to rephrase that to make it very personal to what you may have thought about earlier that you are going through right now. What Satan thinks is a chance to harass you, God sees as a chance to keep you focused on the right things. This is one of the great truths and mysteries of how God works. He uses the forces of evil to accomplish his purposes. There may be times in your life when you can very legitimately say, I think there is spiritual warfare at work here. I think there are forces of evil. I think there are demons who are influencing in some way, and that is causing trouble for me. It's a distraction for me. It's it's causing me pain in some way. And I think this might actually be spiritual warfare. And yet at the same time, you have to recognize that if that happened, it may just be that God is using that for one of his purposes. There may be something else behind that. And so we can legitimately say, yes, this is spiritual warfare. And yes, God may be using that just like he did for Paul. God knows the bigger purpose. The demons, Satan, they do not. They do not understand. Let me give you a quick example. I want to take a, a poll. Is God all-powerful, yes or no? Yes, he is. We believe that he is. Is God all-knowing, yes or no? Yes, God knows everything. If those two things are true, then God knows everything that's going to happen to you, good or bad. And God has the power to stop everything bad that's going to happen to you. That leaves us with only two options for the bad things that happen in your life. Either they were somehow initiated by God or they were allowed by God and there is no option C. If God is all-powerful and God is all-knowing, then God is somehow involved, aware, in the know, allowing whatever thorn, whatever hardship, whatever difficulty comes up in our life. Now, this is a big principle, but I want to give you a little example that helps to demonstrate the rule. This is from James chapter 1. James says, remember when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And get this, he never tempts anyone else. So James is clear, when you are tempted, you cannot say that it was God that is tempting you, because God doesn't do that. It might be other people in your life that are tempting you. It might be your own thoughts that are tempting you. It might be the work of demons in some way. Paul refers to the fiery darts of the evil one. That may be tempting you, but God does not tempt you. But then look at this in 1 Corinthians. Paul says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. What does this mean? It means that God allows temptations and struggles in your life so that you can endure and grow. And while this is a a smaller example here, it's true of a larger principle that God uses the struggles and hardships and persecutions and ailments in our life. He allows those things to happen because he knew about them and he was powerful enough to stop them. But he allowed them. And he allows them for a purpose. We have to realize 
that what Satan thinks is a chance to harass us, God sees as a chance to keep us focused on the right things. Now, I mentioned Job earlier, a very similar situation here in Job, where God had this conversation. He initiated this dialogue with Satan that led to the bad things to happen to Job. But there's one really, really big difference between Job's story and Paul's story, and that is this. Job had no idea why this happened, how this happened. This was all unknown to Job. In fact, that was part of his struggle. Why is this happening to me? I can't understand it. I've examined my life. Other people are trying to tell me it's because of bad things I've done, but I don't see any of that. I can't figure out why God is doing this to me or why God is allowing this to happen to me. Paul, at some point, was told by God, this is why it happened, and this is how it happened. I actually used a messenger of Satan in some way to deliver this thorn to you. So Paul had something Job didn't have, but I would submit to you that we are probably an awful lot more like Job. We are not like Paul, who got a lot of really special insight from God, insight that in some cases he wasn't even allowed to share with us. We'll talk about that later. But we're more like Job, where things happen to us, and we have to be faithful to God even though we don't have the answers that Paul had. So it's not about the thorn. It's about where it came from. And it's not about the thorn, it's about why it's there. Why was Paul given this thorn? Back to verse seven of chapter 12, 2 Corinthians. He says, I have received such wonderful revelations from God. What is Paul talking about there? Well, back in verse one, he says that he had these special revelations and visions. And in verse two, he says that he was actually caught up into heaven. In fact, he says, I don't even know if I was taken up there physically, literally, or if it was just in my spirit. I'm not really sure, but I got to see heaven, guys. That's pretty awesome. He got to experience and see heaven. And he says, I saw things that were so amazing that they cannot be expressed with human language. And no human is allowed to talk about them. I like to remember that every time I see someone claiming that they have been to heaven and seen it and they want to come back and tell you all about it for the low, low price of $9.99 if you buy their book. Paul says, I did it, I was there, and human language can't actually explain it. This cannot be expressed. John did his best, and even John's words are so cryptic and and, uh, you know, metaphorical that we're going to like, I think that's what it's like, but really we have no idea. Paul was not given this vision of heaven so that he could describe to us what it looked like. I believe that Paul was given this vision of heaven right before his missionary journey. He said it was 14 years prior, right before that, so that he could see what the finish line looked like. Because he was about to go on these missionary journeys where he was going to experience all of this persecution and suffering and pushback from all different sides and challenges and difficulties. And I think God wanted to show him it's worth it. It is all worth it in the end. And let me show you what this looks like. Not so you can explain it to other people. He doesn't do that. Paul doesn't give us an example of what exactly heaven looks like. He says we can't even describe it. I've seen it, but I can't describe it. But he wants to show Paul the finish line. You and I don't get to see that finish line until we get there. But Paul got a sneak peek so that he could see how real and how important his mission was. But here's the thing, that kind of experience, that kind of knowledge 
can really make a person proud. Can you just imagine if one of us was to be taken up into heaven, brought back, and allowed to spill everything? We have, we have an AMA, ask me anything, and it's just like all the answers about heaven. I've been there, I've seen it all. Anytime there's a spiritual question, we'd be like, well, having spent time in heaven, I can tell you that the blood moons actually represent, you know, we'd have the answers. We'd have a podcast called Answers from Heaven, and people would start to treat us kind of like a god, and we'd probably start to like it. So having this kind of experience, this kind of knowledge could really make a person very proud. And so Paul says, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. And it hurt. Whatever it was, it hurt. It bothered him. He didn't like it, but there was a reason behind it. It's not about the thorn. It's about where it came from. It's not about the thorn. It's about why it's there. And it's not about the thorn. It's about what you do with it. What did Paul do with his thorn? Well, the first thing he did is he asked God to take it away. In fact, he says, I begged God to take it away. I'll bet there were tears. I'll bet there was crying. I'll bet he was down on his knees, probably lying flat on the floor saying, God, would you please take this away from me? And God said, no. And Paul did it again. And God said, no. And Paul did it again. Three times he begged God, would you take this thing away from me? This is in verse eight, three different times. I begged the Lord to take it away. And I'm so glad this verse is in there because it just gives us a glimpse into the, the reality of Paul, the humanity of Paul. Because I like to think of Paul, I don't know if you do this, I think of Paul as kind of a super Christian. Like Paul is the, the Chuck Norris of spirituality. He's like always got the answers. You know, he's 100% in line with God's will all the time. When the Holy Spirit is grieved, he comes to Paul for comfort, you know? Like, the Apostle Paul is this awesome, super Christian guy. And yet here we get this window into vulnerability and weakness. And not just weakness, but him begging God, would you please take this weakness away? And God refuses. Paul, the Paul. I want you to notice three things about this. First of all, Paul believed God could take his thorn away. He believed that he could, but Paul knew God might choose not to. Paul did not believe that if you just have enough faith, it's going to happen. Paul did not believe some kind of name it, claim it theology. Paul knew that God may choose not to take away this thorn, but he didn't give up after the first no. He was persistent in his prayer. It reminds me of a time when Jesus told the parable of the persistent widow back in Luke chapter 18. And the reason he told them this, according to the text, was to teach his disciples that they should always pray and never give up. And so Paul was persistent in his prayers. And I just think it's amazing that he would kind of open up his diary for us here and show us some of the, the dirty laundry about his weaknesses. Begged God three times, probably through many tears. And what was God's response my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So Paul says, now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. I want to show you a couple things about this verse. 
The first one is that grace is linked with power. My grace, my power. These are parallel thoughts. And power is linked with weakness. My grace, my power, your weakness. My power works best in weakness. And then Paul gives us some interpretation of this. He shows that vulnerability, boast may sound like a bad thing, but he's boasting about weaknesses. It means I'm being open. I'm being transparent. I'm being vulnerable about my weaknesses. Being vulnerable about weaknesses causes the power of Christ to work through him. The vulnerability of people about their weaknesses makes it possible for, so that causes the power of Christ to work through us. Let me make that a little more personable. When we are vulnerable about our weaknesses, it causes the power of Christ to work through us. And maybe you have been stuck in your spiritual walk for a very long time, or maybe you feel like God has abandoned you, or maybe you feel distant from God, or like God's not working through you and in you. So let me ask you this. When is the last time you were vulnerable about your weaknesses with other people? Because that's exactly what Paul is saying here. I am open about my weaknesses with other people so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's how it works. He doesn't say he hides his weaknesses. He doesn't say he only shows them at home. He boasts, he's open about his weaknesses. Not in an attention-seeking way, not in a way that makes him the victim, in a way that points to Christ. Now you may have heard of the author Brene Brown. She's done an awful lot of research into the area of human vulnerability and authenticity and shame. A lot of really fantastic research. And a while back, a number of people were telling me, hey, you need to check out this uh, author and speaker, Brene Brown. She's got these videos you can watch. So I watched a, a bunch of her videos. And then somebody asked me, well, what did you think? And I said, well, honestly, sounds an awful lot like what the Bible says. It's a lot of teaching about being authentic about our weaknesses. The only thing that's missing there is the fact that the power to work through that comes from Christ. Let me give you a couple of her quotes Imperfections are not inadequacies. They are reminders that we're all in this together. Isn't that true? Perfectionism is a self-destructive and addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought. If I look perfect and do everything perfectly, I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame. That's absolutely right. And it's exactly what we find in God's word. God never asks us to put on our Sunday best or to wear a mask to church or anywhere else or to make it look like we have everything put together. In fact, he tells us just the opposite. He tells us that people that do that are like whitewashed tombs. They look great and spiritual on the outside, but they're dead in the inside. We're supposed to be open about our brokenness, not to live a a perfect-looking life. Our desire to present a perfect-looking life keeps us from being known and understood by other people. It keeps us from having deeper relationships with other believers, and it keeps us from growing in Christ. God's desire for us that we see all over the scriptures is that we would help each other grow, 
that we would carry each other's burdens, thorns, that we would pray for each other, and that our weaknesses would be like billboards that point people to Christ. That only works if we're open about them. Because although I am weak, he is strong. Come and see how weak I am, and you will begin to realize how strong he is, because there's no way I could live the way I do if it weren't for the power of Jesus working through me. There's no way I could do the things I do or live the way I live if it weren't for Jesus Christ. Our weaknesses, when we're open and vulnerable about them, point people to Christ. That's why Paul says, I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. My prayer for you today is that as you assess the thorns that may be present in your life that God has allowed, that you would recognize the fact that they are there for a purpose and that you could actually utter these words in prayer to God today. Thank you for the thorn. Thank you. Even though I want you to take it away, I know that you are doing something. You, are, you have some purpose in this. You are teaching me through this. So God, thank you for the thorn. We're gonna pause right there because as a part of this series, we've been having interviews with people who have a story that relates to the story of our biblical character. We've had men and women up here on this stage, ministry partners, missionaries, and today we're going to have one of our very own elders come up and join me at the table, and we're going to talk with him about what this looks like in his own life. So I'm going to ask you to welcome Bob Richter to the stage. Hey, brother. Hey. Thank you so much for being willing to talk today and share about a uncomfortable subject, mm. and um, you have experienced an awful lot of pain in your life. We started talking about this. I heard your story a couple of years ago uh, when I was candidating here, and you were sharing with me some of the pain that you experienced. I'm not sure if everyone knows about that, so I wonder if you could just kind of share a little bit about the, the pain that you go through on a, a daily basis and some that you've been through in the past. Yeah, I'd be glad to. Um, 20 years ago, I got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, and uh, it can be this insidious, debilitating disease that uh, just causes chronic pain. And in the first year before I was diagnosed, um, it destroyed my right elbow, and because I'm bone to bone there, um, I have a lot of pain constantly. To deal with that, I'm also on some chemotherapy uh, that keeps my body from attacking the joints. uh, And as a result, uh, I have a a lot of fatigue. Uh, I deal with uh, infections easily, get colds easy. Um, So I deal with that on a regular basis. I've been through two spine surgeries, but praise God, I'm doing really well from those. And I'm a cancer survivor, so I'm six years free from melanoma. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to talk about any age-related pain? I think that's good. Okay. I 
think okay. that's more, more than enough. Okay. <laughs> you, you've experienced a lot of really painful things in your life, um, and I'm sure that was a struggle for you. Did you ever wrestle with anxiety over it, and did you see it affecting any of your relationships to have so much pain on a, on a daily basis? You haven't talked to Dub, have you? <laughs> <laughs> Not lately. Yeah, so the year before I was diagnosed, um, I was in so much pain constantly. You know how the doctors talk about on a scale of one to 10? Well, I was north of eight just about every day. Um, I couldn't get into REM sleep, so I was really sleep deprived. And uh, as a result, I was uh, depressed, anxiety ridden. Um, I was very impatient uh, with Deb. Um, most of the time I had very curt words for her and I just couldn't get outside of myself. I was so self-contained and I was extremely angry with God that he had allowed this thing to come into my life and uh, despite asking, you know, he wasn't taking it away. But you know, at the same, sorry, <laughs> at the same time, that was the absolute best year of my life. How is that? How is that the best year of your life? You know, besides realizing um, how unconditional Deb's love was for me, um, I realized that God was uh, working in my life and um, making me into the man that he wanted me to be. Um, he gave me a life verse, and it's Psalm 51, 16 through 17. I won't quote it, but I'll tell you what it tells me. Is when David was going through all his struggles and he got before God, he said, God, you don't want sacrifices or burnt offerings. What you want is a broken and contrite heart. Mm -hmm. That you won't despise. Mm -hmm. And what I realized was that God was really telling me that he wanted me completely broken mm. so that he could do with me what he wanted to do. And um, I walked uh, out of that. Uh, actually, uh, right after that, a couple weeks later, uh, I got diagnosed, and for the first time, I was almost pain-free for the first time in a really, really long time. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, you still deal with a lot of pain on a daily basis, don't you? I do, and yeah. It's a it's a constant thing for you, yeah. um, and right now you're smiling about it. <laughs> See, well, I don't know if, if you know this, but you have a reputation kind of for being a very friendly, happy, smiling, joking kind of guy. You're, you're very kind, you're very warm, um, and I'm wondering... As someone who deals with pain on an everyday basis, I mean, we've been driving around together and I've asked you the question, are you in pain right now? Yep, I'm in pain right now. How do you, how do you maintain a good attitude and continue to be kind to others around you um, when you are dealing with that constant pain? Yeah, well, thanks for the kind words, by the way. Um, so to put things in perspective, my pain um, pales in comparison to the pain that I see others going through um, physically, emotionally, uh, psychologically, mm -hmm. and even spiritually. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't, I don't want to diminish what I see and uh, how much it pains me to see others go through that difficulty. Um, I, 
I don't believe this is about me. I don't believe that my pain is to draw attention to me. I think we can all sympathize with people and uh, kind of see and understand what they're going through. I think this is about empathy. Mm. Um, I think God brought me to this point and used this thorn in my side uh, to bring me to the point where I can actually feel the pain of others, not just sympathize, but empathize. Yes. Um, i give you an example of that. So a couple of years ago when Don Earhart went through falling off his bike and shattered his elbow, mm -hmm. uh, he and I connected very um, personally at that period of time. And a man who usually ministers to me, I found myself being able to minister to him mm -hmm. and help him through the anxiety and the difficulties he was going through. What a blessing that was. And I, hopefully it was for him too. Yeah. I have a friend, a good, close Christian friend, uh, who for years I would hear him talk about um, how he thought people who were going through depression and anxiety um, were just kind of lame. They weren't being close to Christ. If they had to go on meds, that was totally unnecessary. Ironically, what God did in his own life was he brought him to a point of uh, deep anxiety and suicidal depression. Uh, I won't go into what it took to get him there, but what I saw him go through after that was um, he went to a psychologist, he went on medication to help him through it, and it totally changed his life. It moved him from not even having sympathy to being able to empathize with individuals. And I see him now talk to people and hear about them being in depression, he doesn't say those same things anymore mm -hmm. because he can empathize with them. And so if all of that is true and it's all about bringing me to that point where I can relate and empathize with other individuals, my joy comes from knowing that. So me being happy is because I've come to realize that God is using me. Mm. And when you know this, the reason for your pain, it's a lot easier to be happy and joyous and not be so concentrated on my own pain, but on the pain of others. That's really good. So what you're saying is that your happiness and your attitude isn't dependent on your circumstances. It really comes from Christ. And that's Christ working through you as you admit and are vulnerable about your weaknesses. Absolutely. Now, if, I, if I let him. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. exactly. Now, there are probably a lot of people who are watching here, you know, hundreds of people here this morning and more watching online right now who may be dealing with some kind of a, a pain issue yeah. um, or a thorn of some kind. It could be emotional. It could, as you mentioned, it could be spiritual. It could be a relational issue that they've just begged God to resolve in their life, and he hasn't done it yet. And so they're wondering, has God abandoned me? Is he not pleased with me? What do I have to do to get God to do what I want him to do? What yeah. kind of advice would you have for them? You know, I would tell them that um, they haven't been abandoned. God hasn't left them alone. He even tells us, I will not leave you or forsake you. In the year uh, that I struggled so much, um, what God showed me through that 
was that when I was angry and taking things out on him, he didn't leave me. He was there with me. And um, when he gave me that verse, uh, it just spoke to my heart and helped me realize how much he really, truly does love me. Um, there's uh, just so much I could share about how I have the confidence of knowing who God is. If I say I love him and I trust him, then I have to realize he's got me, yeah. even in the most difficult times. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, um, uh, Daniel went into the lion's den uh, and Joseph got thrown in a pit and sold off. And Paul had gone through what he went through uh, with a thorn and asked to be healed. Um, and I've asked for that same healing as well. But I've come to realize that God allows difficult things to come in our, to, into our lives mm -hmm. so that he can be glorified and he can use us in our weakness. Yeah. And uh, I'm a really weak person. Uh, but what he's able to do is amazing when I let him. Yeah, and Christ's strength through you is incredibly strong, and that's what, that's what people see. But yeah. even you sharing with us today is an example of that vulnerability and that openness that is allowing Christ hopefully to work in the hearts of people who are listening right now, who will watch this online. Many people watch these interviews afterward. And so this is a great example of that coming full circle, you know, the redemptiveness yeah. of God now taking and using something years ago you never could have imagined, I would, I would think, that we would be sitting here having no. this conversation talking about this, and no. yet it's that authenticity and that vulnerableness that God takes and he uses. And, and that's what I think is so amazing is that in uh, the transparency and the honesty when we get with others, um, that openness um, brings about the very thing that I had to learn. and. Um, I, how great it is that I can minister to others because of that. Yeah. Hey, thanks for being real with us today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. it. Thanks. There's not much more I can add to that. I want you to know that after a closing song, we're going to have a team of people up here to pray with you. And maybe you've heard something today that, that really um, hit you hard about how you've been treating the thorns in your life. And you need someone to pray with you. Maybe you need someone to pray for those thorns. God, would you take this away? And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But maybe you also need to shift that prayer into a new direction of praying, God, what do you want me to learn through this thorn? If you're not gonna take this away right away, what is it that you want to do through me and in me? Would you take this and just use it for your glory and for your good and watch and see what happens. If you would like someone to talk with you about that or pray with you about that after our closing song, please come up here. would love to talk with you and pray with you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we thank you for the authenticity of men like Paul and men like Bob, people who give us a window into their weakness, into their struggle, and not just the, the physical pain, but the emotional anguish and the mental wrestling with how could this happen and, and the treating other people poorly because of that. And I have my own stories of that too. I'm sure we all do. Lord, our weakness is, is there. It's real. 
And it's when we're open about that that you show your strength. So I pray for everyone who is in this room, everyone who is watching online right now, everyone who will watch later, that you would help us to live out this truth. Help us to see these thorns as allowed by you for a purpose and to find our strength in you and a trust in you, even in the difficulties of life. We know that you are able. We know that you care. We know that you can take it all away if you so choose. But even if you don't, we will trust in you and place our hope in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.